From the boardroom to the locker room, sport captures the imagination like little else. In this podcast, we talk to the men and women who make the big decisions and those who make the big plays to find out where sport is and, importantly, where it's going. But we do so through the only eyes that matter, those of the fan. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Are You Not Entertained? Here to entertain you is the man himself from the lake, the great and good Roger Mitchell. Hi, mate. Hi, Grant. How are you? How's things? I am doing all right, Roger. I'm doing all right. Yes, the weather's nice. I'm in South Carolina. The weather is great here. Summer has arrived. Very, Uh, very warm. Summer on the lake. Yeah, and uh, the clothes, the people who know about the Mediterranean culture, the wardrobes have been changed. The winter clothes have been put away and all, all the beautiful people are out there with um, with uh, their summer clothes, which in itself is a win. It definitely well, is a win. Well, I have to say, this, this, is, uh, this is, I, I always know, because whenever you do the first goal on goal of the season wearing Speedos, I know that uh, it's changed. <laughs> so it's, all, it's always nice to see you wearing those ones. Well, it's funny, you know, the lake, the lake's in a strange moment just now. I don't know whether you saw, I know you sometimes follow the, the, the financial publication Zero Hedge. Um, there was a story that came out came out last week about the scandal in Switzerland, just up the road from me. Um, at the factory, the Nespresso factory, part of the Nestle Group, obviously, the Nespresso factory <laughs> opened up the the bags of coffee beans, and it was full of cocaine. Well, you, listen, you, you, you do have to wonder, right, if, uh, I mean, I have to wonder how they found it in the first place, given the fact that uh, it was obviously wasn't the sniffer dogs that found it, because supposedly <laughs> that's exactly what they used to uh, to disguise cocaine, isn't it? Well, I, I, I don't know. It's not, it's not my core competence. But, you know, uh, Nespresso, what else? Well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking of George here. <laughs> George, oh, you're, up yes. for another, you're, you're up for another campaign. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rog, listen, I'll tell you what, coffee coffee and cocaine aside, there is an awful lot going on in the sports world, oh, as always. Oh, jeez, there is, absolutely. As always, as always. And, and as always, I'm going to be polite and I'm going to let you go first. What do you got for me this week? Okay, I, I will do that, but we're going to come back to the whole crypto thing later because for the sports sector, it's important. We'll come back to that later. What I've got, which I think is important, everybody will start laughing at this, the lessons from Eurovision of the last two or three days. Ah, uh, uh, yes, okay. Yeah, and, and I've, I'm not going to talk about, you know, the, the kind of like the pity vote for Ukraine and what that means and Scotland having a qualifier with Ukraine coming up. And that's all kind of like... It's a little bit predictable. What I want to talk about is the format that um, the Eurovision uh, broadcaster used, where the top five nations, the big nations obviously, got a free buy into the final. Because the format was two semis, and the ones that got through the semi got into uh, last night's final. Uh, now, from- Roger, I, I, think, I think there will be an awful lot of listeners here that have no idea what Eurovision is. So just, just, just okay. a little background will be helpful. Eurovision is a is a competition, European-wide, where every country puts forward their champion to compete for the best European song. In Britain, where obviously we have got a very strong musical culture, it's never really been taken super seriously, but it is taken a bit more seriously in the rest of Europe. And certainly in the last couple of years, it's kicked on a little bit in quality and importance. 
And they've added that, Australia, don't forget. <laughs> and Israel. The, but the point is this, that, you know, they're coming up with formats now because guess what? This is a media property. And the, the big five get a buy into the final. What does that remind you of, Grant? What does that remind you of in sport? <laughs> <laughs> like places that you don't need to actually win to get in, you just get there anyway. What I'm just thinking of, Grant, is I think we probably were, were quite strong on our views on the, the Super League uh, and Super Leagues and the inevitability of it all. And uh, I want to talk to you about a couple of things here. First thing I want to talk to you about is nobody should think that the Super League is dead. What the Super, in football I'm talking about, what the Super League is battling about now is ownership. Because UEFA and their new format is a Super League. is just badged up by the incumbent governing body. So let's please recognise what is going on here. And, and I want to make the point without labouring it again and again about Hollywood and art house. I, I want to take it into my experience yesterday. You know, I was doing something and I needed something in the background. So I went on to the TV and um, I found European Golf Tour. I don't know what tournament it was, but it, it was on live on Sky here. And I Belgium, clicked on yeah, it. it's out there in Belgium this week. Yeah, well... Here's the reality, Grant, and I'm sorry because I know I know it's as painful for you. I saw the leaderboard, and I switched over. I switched over. There was no box office name on there. We mentioned the last episode the importance of Ronnie Sullivan and how you and I watched the Crucible. Whatever way, you, whatever way you want to cut this now, sport is content for a media sector that is fighting for platform dominance, that's fighting for eyeballs, that's fighting for relevance. And I saw that European golf tournament yesterday. I saw the leaderboard and I said, this is just, forget it, you know, and I put on a record or something like that, I don't know. But, you know, that, it's all out there. Uh, you know, we've got the, the Saudi, Saudi Arabia tour with Greg Norman. Is All the signs are there. For me, it's clear. I know you fight uh, philosophically against this, but I, I think everywhere you look, people are getting into competitions because of the media values that they bring as opposed to the glory of winning on the field or on the stage. It's, it's a great point, Roger, and this goes back to, to your views about all this stuff, which you've held consistently. And, and let's start with the European tour. I know exactly what you mean, right? The problem with something like the Sauda or Spuda Open or something in Belgium, right? We don't know the sponsor. We don't know who they are. We don't know what they do. We don't know the golf course. We don't know much about the country. Although uh, Franz, one of my colleagues and friends is from Belgium. So Franz, if you're listening, hi mate, nothing offensive about Belgium. You know, I love Belgium. But I know what you mean, right? You look at that leaderboard and the reality is the good European players, the top 50 European players in the world at this time of year are in the States. You've just had the Masters... You've said the players, you've got the PGA Championship next week, I think. You've got the US Open. That stretch, yeah. this, this, this April through June stretch, is all about the PGA Tour. And all the great players in the world are playing on the US PGA Tour this time. It's period. So the European Tour has always struggled at this time of year, Rog. It just doesn't have a flagship event. I think the PGA Championship at Wentworth, they've moved to avoid this conflict. Um, you, know, you used to have that window in May, when the PGA Championship used to be played in, in August, where the players would come back to Europe. But I just don't think that's happening anymore. And, and this, as you say, it, it speaks of Super Leagues. It speaks of 
where do you get all the big stars together and put them in one place and people will follow the stars the the difference i guess in golf is that there are some courses that people want to watch tournaments on right there are some courses that people want to see mm-hmm. um and you get a two or three big names and that's enough you get an exciting finish last week at the belfry you know you have this scandinavian guy go eagle birdie to win at the belfry i saw that which is fantastic right and and too long you know, my, my, yeah my feed was buzzing with that but again, that's after the event, right? How many people saw that finish? Nobody. I went, oh, I wish I'd watched that. Or I'll get to go to YouTube and look for the highlights. So if you throw all that together and you bring in the live golf stuff, then you know, I, th- I think your point is extremely well made that this is a moment in time for golf where star power is important because it's not just Tiger Woods plus any one of three others on a given week who's compete, competed with it, you know, Phil or you know, Montgomery for a while, or, you know, there, there were a few golfers, but it was, yeah. it was the Tiger show. You've now got, what, 12, 15, 20 young superstar golfers, any of whom can be in contention, all of whom are exciting, all of whom have social media relationships with the public. And that, I suspect, is, is the way golf's going to be built. I will rage against the dying of the light the whole time, Raj. I'm always going to simply because of the tradition of golf. But you see, but, um, but what I'm saying to you, Grant, is don't get hung up on ownership of sport. You know, because th- I think that's what I, the point I was making with UEFA and the Super uh, League. I agree. Just let's I, make it as good as it can be. Uh, and yeah, and, and Roger, I just, I, I agree. I agree. I, I I think the problem here, right, is in go- and golf, golf and football. I guess are the same, right? You've got you've got old governing bodies that are set in their ways and don't want to relinquish control because control is what it's all about. Whereas at the same time, if you were starting with a clean piece of paper, we know what you do, right? Particularly in golf. In golf, you would have the best golfers in the world playing against each other week in, week out on the best courses in the world for the biggest prize money, period. It's a lot easier to figure out golf than it is football because there there are so many more cross currents in terms of you know, national stuff and traditional stuff and you know golf don't forget is a revolving door you get the players come through and go with with football it's all about the clubs yeah while while your point is is taken about the players it is ultimately about the club so i think golf is different um and if the i think if the pga tour was smart they would either come up with something that rivals live golf to keep it in-house or they'd find a way to cut a deal but i don't think they're going to do that roger no, well, you know, one one of the reasons I don't think they will is I don't think Greg Norman's the right leader for this for Live Golf. Apart from the fact that I I just don't think he was ever super popular. He was respected, but he just didn't have the love. I don't think. And of course, you know, this week, you know, that comment, we all make mistakes. Yeah. You know, that's that's got to be that go down as one of the Ugh. great fucking gaffes. You know, like, yeah, you know, I, I forgot my wife's wedding anniversary, our wedding anniversary. Yeah, we all make mistakes, but I don't invite somebody in my house and machete them to death. You know, it's, it's a different... <laughs> Allegedly. You, you um, are from Glasgow, after all. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean, like, I, what I don't get, there's a lot of commentators that I believe should know better. A lot of them are in the heavy press, the broadsheets and everything like that, that continue to rally against what I believe is the market. You can't buck the market. I'll, give, I'll ask you a question now, Grant. 
um, which never these people never ask when they're talking about a Super League because most of them are English. When Haaland and let's say also Lewandowski leave the Bundesliga and Messi and Ronaldo have also left Spain and Italy doesn't really have any anyway, what interest does anybody have to watch anything apart from the English Premier League? The English Premier League and its money and its wonderful marketing and everything they've done under Scudamore and Ryan Philpotts and everybody like that, they won. They won. But the fact is, it's killed everybody else. And do you expect them to just accept that? Spanish football, Italian football, German football also has got a glorious tradition. And, and, and they just see that they can no longer compete for the box office talents. Why can't our colleagues realise that the status quo isn't working anywhere? And rather than write all these wonderful pieces, and they are great pieces, they're, co- they're, they're talented writers, but they're missing the point. This train left the station in 1992, and we are just getting to the end of the journey now. Why all of a sudden? You know, up because it hasn't affected them. They've been the winner of this. The English Premier League has been the winner of this. And, you know, think about it. Who's going to watch the Bundesliga post Haaland, post Lewandowski, knowing that Bayern Munich are going to win the league for the 11th straight year? That's what I want you to tell me, Grant. No, no Roger, I, I, listen, I agree with you 100%, I have to say. I mean, this this is the problem. However, the, the people that run these leagues, they're not running a European league. They're running the English Premier League. Right, they're trying to make the English Premier League the biggest, best, most exciting property they possibly can. And you're right, they've won. Period. They've won. They won. They won. And and for for football traditionalists like myself, that's a great shame. You know, I I, I remember as a kid when you'd see an English team playing Inter Milan or or Bayern Munich in, in or the Red Star Euro- Belgrade. What was the European or Red Star Belgrade in the European Cup? Those were mythical nights, right? Because you you were seeing unfamiliar teams of players but familiar clubs with storied pasts and it was exciting Rog but to your point about what kind of content people want to consume and how people are building this stuff around now if it doesn't matter and you're right that it doesn't matter about the clubs and the players what's important then when Haaland goes to Man City and when Lewandowski retires and Ronaldo goes back to United and Messi is into the wilderness at Paris, how's your man? Then <laughs> what do you do then, right? What do you do then? There, there is nothing left in those leagues other than to be feeder leagues for the Premier League and, and keep the clubs in business by taking Premier League money for your young players once they're ready. The train tracks from here are pretty clear. It's the only thing, and I mean the only thing, that can disrail all of this is some kind of global recession, right? If we get a catastrophic event in world markets because of inflation, because of interest rates, because of all the things we've talked about in this podcast about the rising cost of money, suddenly things get very, very interesting again, right? Because the money that the Premier League leads to support its salaries through the, through the gates, through the people buying their third away strip of the year for their kids... All that stuff at the margin goes away very quickly when people lose their jobs and when people can't afford to do that kind of thing. And who knows? You know, this, this, you and I have talked about this uh, the importance of low interest rates in a sporting context until we're blue in the face. Yeah. And I don't think 
uh, the average fan understands it, nor should they. It, it's too arcane to really make sense of until you lose your job, and then it does make sense. And until you know you are struggling with petrol prices going through the roof and rent and mortgages going up and all this kind of stuff, then it becomes a very real problem when you're, you're sitting there thinking, well, how do I afford a hundred quid to take my son to a football match next week? I can't. So that one dynamic could upend all of this, Rog, in a hurry. To, to a point, Grant, because, you know, let's say um, Newcastle, let's take Newcastle, an area that would be hit severely by a recession. Um, yeah. That's not going to change the dynamic of that football club now. Not with uh, Saudi money, not with them changing the strip to green and white stripes. Um, well, what, which, what does it do for... What does it do for Gate receipts and merchandise sales. And they, they, what I'm saying is, they can afford to take that to zero and still be the kings oh, of the, the castle. No, the Saudis can. You're right. You're right. The Saudis can. The Saudis can for sure, and Man City can. Um, so Liverpool, there, there Liverpool are run to Liverpool are run too sensibly. Man United can't right now with the amount of debt they've got. Right, the Glazers have saddled that club with debt. Chelsea, who knows? We don't know who's going to own them. Um, Arsenal, no. Spurs, no. You really are down to the Middle Eastern money, the, you know, the countries that are literally just pulling money out the ground. But the question is, how much will they want it at that point, Roger? I don't, I don't know. I don't answer any of these questions. All I know is that if, if you are in the business of sport and you think the status quo is going to continue, if interest that's rates point. go yeah. higher, then you are whistling past the graveyard. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It, it, it's it's funny, isn't it? When you when you look at all the commentary here, there was an interesting thing from Gary Neville. Who uh, I, I'm not a super fan of Gary Neville. You know, I think he's bright enough to fall down in his face, uh, if that makes sense. You know, he knows enough to be a little bit dangerous to himself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so he came out against Leeds United, who obviously are really risking going down now. And that would be a story in itself. You know, what the 49ers would do. I heard something that they've got some kind of like clauses in there that if they go down, they can pick them up at 40 million valuation. I don't know if any of that is true. But what I'm saying is if Leeds go down, it's catastrophic for uh, Radriziani, the owner, uh, and everything like that. But it's funny how life treats you. You know, when the Super League came around, one of the most vocal people was the chief executive of uh, Leeds United, Angus Kinnear. Um, who said a uh, sports regulator. Sports regulator is another term for redistribution of money. Let's be clear about yeah, that. Yeah. There's nothing, it's just, it's socialism, redistribution of money. Fine, I'm not saying that I'm against it or for it. I'm saying that's what it is. And and Angus came out and said, a regulator, that's Maoism. And we've spent 30 years at the premiership fighting that. And of course, Gary Neville, it's a very nice line. He says, um, Angus, if you go down you're going to be right in favour of Mao day one, which is true. You know, if you go, that's my experience in football. Principles matter depending on how you do in the promotion and relegation battle. And it comes back to this massive, massive discount rate that is applied to European sport that is called We Love Relegation. It has got a huge cost. And, you know, we're starting to see that kind of stuff now, Grant. Yeah, I mean, this is obviously a debate we've had both amongst ourselves and with um, you know Jerry and with other people that, that are interested in this, this idea of relegation and promotion are unfortunately absolutely crucial to the way football is played in the UK. 
it, it's fundamental, Roger. You, know, you you look at here we are, right? The, 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 at the end of the season, and you've got the title race. All right, this year we've got two out of three already relegated in the Premier League, but that Burnley Everton Leeds scrap with two games to go, or maybe three. I think there's someone someone's got a game in hand. Is what it's all about, and you and you get to see this. You get to see yesterday. You get to see Sheffield United, Nottingham Forest battling each other to get into the playoff final. You know, this is this is the pointy end of the season, and without it, you know, when you get class teams running away and wrapping up the championship with a couple of weeks to go, you know, obviously <laughs> it does, it does, it does. It does it. But but look, without that, Rog, you know, if you're just playing at one end of the table with the with the strength of football, you're going to have two, maybe three teams. In the race all year, and everyone else, what? There's just there's no jeopardy. There's no emotion. It works in America. It works in America in the NFL, Grant. Yes, look, that's true. That's true. But it's it's always been that way, right? And so they don't know any different. Same with baseball. Go to a baseball game. Go to a, a, a baseball game between two teams who are not in the pennant race uh, in the middle of I don't know August, dog yeah. days of summer when they're out of the things. Like You'll see. It won't be half empty stadium, but you'll just see people out for an afternoon out, right? It's it's different. It's very yeah, yeah. very different than than going to a football game. Yeah. And and every yeah. single American friend of mine who has been to a Premier League game, all they want to talk about is the atmosphere, not the game. They just want to talk about the crowd, the singing, the chanting, the the electricity yeah. in in yeah. the ground. And look, I, and I've been to I've been to so many American sports events and I, and I love them right I've been to NFL games and Major League Baseball games and hockey and NBA and all of it right but the excitement in those games for the most part is generated quote unquote artificially it's the PA system whipping the crowd into a frenzy and playing these things the NFL the game is so stop start that it's tough to get any energy right like you have in in the the ebbs yeah. and flows of a game and you, you know I, when i'm writing roger i have the football on in the background and i'm totally into what i'm, I'm working at but i hear the crowd i know when to get oh, up yeah. out of my seat that's and right. go around that's the corner right. and watch the tv to see what's happening right you don't get that in the sport in the, in the u.s so it, it's it's peculiar i think to european football and look, and South American football, let's face it. But even when I went to the Atlanta United game uh, in the US a few years ago, and I saw that, Rog, uh, again, the best part of that game was the crowd. It wasn't the football. The football, frankly, wasn't very good. They'll get there, but it wasn't very good. It, it, it's, you know, it's League Two, League Three level football. But the crowd at a football game in America is utterly different. Or I should say a soccer game in America. Well, but they don't have NFL relegation. MLS no, 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 doesn't. no, they don't. But, but as I'm saying, they, they don't know any different, Rog, because the, that's how the league's been set up, right? We do in Europe. It's, mm. and, it's, and once you've once you've grown up in that system, it's everything. It becomes everything. I, I, Point know, and, the I, I know that. I know that. I, I, I listen, it's four years we've been talking about this, and I don't have a solution. All I know for certain is that the status quo um, may be something we want to protect for the way you very articulately said there. Um, but it's killing us, you know. Um, I don't know. What, I don't know what the answer is, Grant. You know, well, I, when you say I, killing, I, what do you mean when you say killing us? Because the, 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 the financially, it's killing us. Like you said, what was it, Man, uh, Nottingham Forest, Sheffield United? If you and I had the, the accounts of those two clubs there in front of us now, I'm telling you, they are in the kind of like unless we get up, we're fucked. 
uh, situation, which is almost all of the championship in English football. I, I, okay, but let, let's talk about why that is, Rog. It's not promotion and relegation. Oh, yes, it it's is. It's not. It's not. It's, it's, it's not getting into relegation. the promised land. It's getting in to no, the no, promised hang land. Hang on a second. There are clubs in the championship who, if you looked at their books, they'd be fine. Now, they may not be making a promotion run, right? Well, they are, if you but look at Luton, fi- they would be an example. Yeah, Luton, they, they, oh, there you go. Okay, perfect yeah. example. Perfect example. We had Gary Sweet on, and I, we you, did. Know, you and I both and agreed. It was a fantastic conversation, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My point is this, is that it is absolutely possible to run a football club successfully, in, in inverted commas, depending on what your definition of success is. And these are community clubs, as you've, as you've pointed out on many, many occasions, right? Again, I come back to this idea that because money has been so cheap, there has been money thrown at financing this and financing that and borrowing that and signing players to stupid contracts. That all changes. If you have to balance your books because you don't, either don't have a sugar daddy or you can't borrow money because it's too expensive to borrow, it all changes. Oh, okay, Grant, listen, you know, I, I hear you, but honestly, my, my experience of, of living, I've seen these guys as seasons get to, as you say, the pointy end. And I can tell you on more than one occasion, the ones like the Gary Sweets, the ones like Jeff Brown at St. Johnston, who always um, are disciplined, see if they have getting dragged into a relegation battle. They're under significant pressure from their fans. Course, yeah, they're under pressure, but, but look... The- this, this, the Premier League is set up is set up to make people uh, act irrationally because you're in a league, you're competing, and it only needs one or two bad actors who, for whatever reason, decide that they're going to make a play for the Premiership, and it could be a Wrexham, it could be anything that you that have sat there like a good little boy for many years, balancing the books, getting mid-table, and all of that, all of a sudden you're in a relegation battle. It's no fun, Grant. And, and, of course and it isn't. Of course it isn't, Rog. Of course it is no fun. But look, look the, 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 the Football League survived for 100 years before the Premier League, right? The Premier League did what the Premier League did, and, and they have, they've jettisoned and, and become an entirely different world, right? What happens is in the Championship, you're trying to get into a completely different world that you yep. may sink or you may swim. You know, Fulham have had promotions and relegations for five straight years because the step up now is still that big. Um, yeah. And the reality is there are clubs who are able to fund themselves and, and they're not exciting. They're not going to get, maybe they get the occasional uh, promotion scrap. Maybe they get in a relegation scrap, Rog. But at the end of the day, as we saw in that Sunderland Till I Die Netflix show, at the end of the first season, they get relegated and the fans are miserable and oh, I'm never coming to watch this load of dross again and chairman out and bored out and all this sort of stuff. And the first thing you see in season two are the fans literally rubbing their hands together. They can't wait for the football season to start. So it is perfectly possible to run football teams profitably, right? It might not be wildly profitably, but, it's, yeah. it, but it, means, it means something completely different, Roger. It means they go back to being community clubs. It goes back to not having massive salaries. It goes back to the lower leagues being feeder teams for whatever, for the, the, the higher leagues. But t- don't, don't tell me that as somebody who lives in Grimsby is going to stop supporting Grimsby. Right, okay. Uh, listen, that's that's a strong argument, and people hearing that know that that's a strong argument. And I'm not deaf to that. Uh, all I'm saying is that um, I'm saying this. See, when you add this to what I said at the start of this show about the, the polarisation to box office, 
that world that you're describing has been a world of subsidy where leagues make uh, money for selling Nottingham Forest and Sheffield, i.e. big clubs, together with wee clubs, and it gets spread out a little bit. If you believe, which you have to believe at this point, that the media sector only wants box office, they are going to be less likely to kind of be bothered about what happens to these smaller clubs. And let's say your world is correct, that you can live and be happy and and stay where you are, when you add in the second bit, which is the move to polarisation, and then you add in the third one, which the young kids have got no time for Grimsby, even if they grew up in Grimsby, and even if they're getting dragged along by their dad and their granddad, they can't wait to get back and play Fortnite. When you add all of those together, Grant, I don't I don't see this kind of, oh, we can just all sort it out if interest rates kind of bring us back to sanity and everybody behaves properly. No, 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 no. That, that's, no, that's, that, Roger, that's, that's mischaracterising what I'm saying. I'm not saying that if interest rates go back normal, that everything's fine. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is the excesses, a lot of them, will moderate. That's that's just that's just uh, the, that, that the won't be enough the to save the status quo. That won't be enough, Grant. There's too well, many you know, factors Roger, ripping it listen, apart. When we when we talk about this, given your background, I am constantly bringing a knife to a gunfight. I totally understand that. I'm talking about it as a fan, not from someone who's been <laughs> in the trenches like you have. Right? You've you've run one of these leagues, so you know this far more than I do. I take your points well. I just I just think that the world is potentially on the cusp of significant change. Yeah. significant change and i think with significant change what worlds tend to do are retrench back to old models that work back to foundations back to a way of being that is comfortable and safe and you know i i think sport will find that i think you know the premier league was established in 1992 mm-hmm. which was really the the beginning of the move of cheap money you know, this wall of cheap money had they started the premier league in 1982 would have been wildly different rog and so i just i think the world is on the cusp of change because the, the premier league has surfed that ability for people to raise debt to fund all kinds of different acquisitions in in different parts of the league that i think 10, 15 years from now, there won't be that money sloshing around. And so you retrench, you go back to the fundamental values of something. You know, this, this, we talk about growth and value. It's not just a stock market thing, right? It, no. it, when, when things are uncertain, you go back to things you can value. And, and I, I, look, I don't know. You, you I, I know, know, you know, but, we disagree a little bit on that. I, th- I think yeah, the yeah, world's yeah, moved we on a little bit. But, you know, I think that was, I think MD listening to that, um, two guys coming at it from a slightly different perspective. And, you know, this is the the difficulty that sport is in and certainly football is is in. And and I think that last 20 minutes has been good. So, Grant, what else have you got for me? Let's talk in a football and difficulty. Let's talk about the big football story of the week, Rog. The the, the story that that is perhaps the most important story in football that could bring the game to its knees. And that is the right. lawsuit between uh, one footballer's wife and another footballer's wife that's playing oh, in, yes. in the, high, the high freaking court, right? Now, Wagatha Christie, isn't Wagatha that the Christie. name, the name now, for it, it all the years? Great, Wagatha Christie is, is a fantastic name. We have a coin that is brilliant. Now, let's, let's just set the table for, for our, um, 
our friends perhaps from America who don't quite understand this. So uh, Wayne Rooney, former England captain, all-time leading English national team goal scorer and a Manchester United legend, has a wife called Colleen Rooney or Mrs Rooney, to those of you unfamiliar with her. Another England footballer, Jamie Vardy, um, who has lived a somewhat checkered past, but but his story in terms of his rise from you know having a having a tracker bracelet on his ankle for crimes he committed as a kid to to leading the England team and scoring goals and European Championships and World Cup qualifiers and stuff. Leicester um, League, Leicester League, and, and, twelve, and, yeah, yeah, and. And, and being the spearhead of the Leicester team that won the Premier League in 2016, was it, Roger? Six years ago now. A long time ago, yeah. yeah. Um, he also has a wife, uh, Rebecca Vardy, or Mrs. Vardy, and the two of them are what are known as WAGs, and WAGs is an acronym for Wives and Girlfriends. Uh, and this is something that became at the 1998 World Cup. When no, a bit later a than that, 2002-2006. Bad and bad oh, years. Okay, yeah, bad yeah. and bad. That's right, you're right, you're right, you're right. Um, when all the England soccer players had glamorous girlfriends who all wanted to be social media stars, uh, one of one of the wives, and I mean this sounds ridiculous, I can't remember which one it was, and I really don't care, but one of, one of the wives... Uh, was worried that the other one was gossiping about Co- her behind Colleen her back. Colleen was worried that. Well, why don't you tell the story? Because I, 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 you've got the story no, straight. No, you, you were going great. You were well. You you were going great in that, and you you bring more credibility. People know that I'm a bit of a. I, I like the kind of like the, the gossip stuff. And, and well, we've the, reached that stage, so you take over. You know, we've got to the gossip because it's all a bit <laughs> well, bewildering so, to me. So, so Colleen, um, who let's be honest, probably had a little bit more gossip than Rebecca did. Um, suspected that Rebecca was leaking stories to uh, an important newspaper in the UK called The Sun that is not well liked in Liverpool and Rooney is from Liverpool, as is Colleen. Uh, and this is where the Wagatha Christie bit comes in because uh, I've always had the sensation that Colleen is no dummy, no dummy whatsoever. And, you know, so she she um, uh, sets a trap, entrapment, where um, she gives a, a story that only Rebecca can see under the guise that it went to everybody, but it was only Rebecca that actually got access to it. And w- lo and behold, it did appear in the sun. I think it was that she was pregnant or something like that. It's not important, that bit. So um, Colleen got her red-handed and called her out and called her out and... Um, you should take your loss at that point if you're if you're Rebecca. Men, you should take your loss at that point. But no, she decides to take her to the High Court of the United Kingdom to sue her for defamation. This court case is now ongoing. Um, first of all, I mean, like, why this is a wonderful article by Marina Hyde, who I think is the the, the writer of our mm-hmm. generation at the Guardian about, you know, she talks about whatever you do in life, don't litigate, never litigate, never go to court, whatever you need to do, settle it on the steps, don't go to... And then she goes on to describe uh, what's happening. There's a couple of quotes I've got, Grant, you may have a couple of others, because, again, for our non-British listeners, the great thing about the British QC is that they are super smart with the driest humour you will ever find that just cuts you to the quick. So uh, Rebecca Vardy, who, to give a little bit more colour to this, one could easily see as a contestant on Love Island, very, very easily. (laughs) Uh, 
she, you know, so she's in that kind of like chatty framework and she's talking on the stand and she comes out with a quote, if I'm being honest, blah, 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 blah. The lawyer, and I'm quoting here from the article, Colleen Rooney's lawyer, sounding exasperated, said, I would hope you're being honest, given you're sitting in the witness box at the high court. <laughs> and, then, and then she continues to dig the hole. You know, um, the, one of the things about this story is you could, it's a ridiculous story because the evidence in the case of the, the her defence, Rebecca's defence, is that she didn't know and her agent, who she's thrown under the bus, was the, the source of the leaks and she's appalled and she wants to distance herself from her. The, the agent's phone is at the bottom of the North Sea. <laughs> It's, yes. it's it fell off a ferry, apparently. It fell off a ferry. So, um, again, I'm quoting. At one point, it was put to Ms. Vardy that it was somewhat helpful to her that crucial messages on Watt, the, the agent, on Watt's phone were now in Davy Jones's locker. She turned... You can't make this up, Grant. She turned to the judge and said, Who's Davy Jones? Who I don't you play know for? <laughs> the judge, I guess you have to picture this in a very English like setting. The judge's reply that it was figurative did not seem to fully clear up the mystery in Ms. Vardy's eyes. <laughs> so you've got the best of Britain's journalists absolutely having a field day here. It's, I mean, who advised her to put herself in front of these QCs? I mean, who advised her, Grant? Well, see, Rog, and there, look, it's, it's, it's bewildering to me, but there is a serious point to this, right? And this is, who knows? With any luck, this will be the apex of this, I need to be famous, I need everyone to know it everything about it my life, culture. It won't. I know you're right, but let's just let me dream for a minute, will you? Because, again, I... I I don't read all the articles. I read some of the opinion piece on it when I when the headline suggests that they are going to rightfully take the piss out of these people. But you know, I see I see the pictures of Rooney in a raincoat standing outside the court <laughs> holding his wife's handbag, and I just I just think, at what point do you not say why are you why are you doing this? Like what, what who cares? Like at the end of the day, Rose. Here's the big thing: nobody cares. Mm. Right, no. nobody, and I mean nobody cares. If it turns out she did it, or if it turns out she didn't do it, who cares? Yeah, you're right. Right, <laughs> and and this obsession with with image and social media and all this bullshit is to me it's so abhorrent. And the best part about that David Jones locker quote is you know. He chose those words very, very carefully, expecting her to think that Davy Jones had a yeah, locker yeah, he and was a player. Up. He set that up. Was he absolutely set up. a setup. You know that. Yeah. So that also tells you that these people know exactly who they're dealing with, and <laughs> uh, you know it, 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 it beggars belief, Rog. But uh, but even I'm drawn to the Wagatha Christie headlines. It's beautiful. We, it, it's, it is. It's just, it's absolutely can I ask remarkable. You, can I ask you, Grant, are you following the American version of this that's not sporting, that's uh, Johnny I, I, Depp? I guarantee you no, but tell me who it is anyway. No, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. Are you, are you not following that? 
I, I'm, I'm aware there's something going on. I, oh, I couldn't tell you any oh, of the see, details. See, see that you know, you know, I've got a pawn shown for all this kind of stuff because <laughs> no, it's popular culture. I've always lived in popular culture at the, at the sharp end, and and this is the commentary on where where America is, and it is linked to what you're seeing before. Now, to cut a very long story short, here. Um, she's accusing him of wife beating, right? And he's kind of counter suing that she beat him and everything like that. Like you say, nobody cares, uh, and it's a it's a train wreck. The the but the, the interesting thing coming back to the world of content that we started at here is that you have now got thanks to the world of TikTok and um, the de- democratization of of content, you've got some very talented people doing some very funny things about this. So you've got this guy, I don't know what his name is, uh, um, uh, my son sent it to me. And, and like, you can watch this forever, but you've got really good highlights from people that are bringing you the highlights of this, where they comment over the top of the footage in the court. Um, so she she's on the stand being questioned by her lawyer. So obviously the questions are friendly. set up to make friendly. You know, tell us about your childhood. Oh, you grew up with horses and why did you like horses? And, and you know, it's the whole line that creating this little house on the prairie image yeah, for her, yeah, right? Yeah, right. you know, but anybody could see it. And this commentator was so funny, so funny talking about this. And like he says, yeah, okay, we get it. We'll give you a couple of questions. And he's quoting on the sidelines. We'll give you a couple of questions of this. We get it. Yeah, yeah, she's nice. Look at her. She's pretty. Look at her. All of this kind of stuff, and then he just he just lost it, Grant. He said, "For fuck's sake, when do we get to the bit that she shits on the bed?" Because <laughs> this is the nub of the story. She got so angry one day <laughs> that you know she did that, and of course they never use that word. It's like um, defecated and all this. <laughs> And, and, and I don't know, you won't know this, but Johnny is winning this PR battle. You know, he's got his whole, I don't know, it could be considered the acting performance of his career. He's got all the little smirks and smiles just down to a T, you know, and she is like floundering. Absolutely. <laughs> I, the, the problem I have for us with all this stuff is, is I, I can't think of four minutes this past week that I would have improved my week by watching this stuff. See, Whether it's Wagon the Christie or Johnny that's Depp. That's where you I and just, I are different. I, I think I that, just, you know, the world is so ugly. So distasteful. No, you've got to look for the absurd. Otherwise, you end up topping yourself in this life, Grant. It is so sad what's going on. that you well, listen, I, I, listen, I, I, I'll tell you what, let's stick on content creation, but let's take it down a different track, a wholly, in my okay. view, more positive track. And that is, um, <laughs> I think it's Lewis or Louis Dunford, uh, I sent you this uh, last week. This this song about Arsenal. Oh uh, yeah, North, North oh, London. Wow. And the, so, the song's called Angel, uh, North London Forever. And and this is a piece of content. And we'll tweet it with a link to this thing. Yeah, this is this is everything that's authentic about football, Rog, wrapped into the modern world. And this gives me belief that the two things can coexist. Right? You've got. A guy, and I, listen, I don't know. Louis Dunsford could be a big pop star. I have no idea. I, I don't I, think he is. It, it doesn't look he like is. he is. It looks like it's just homemade stuff, but it's just a... You need to explain a little bit what, what he's done here. What he's done is he's, he's taken um, a whole bunch of footage that looks like it's shot on a phone or something of, of people and places around Highbury, around North London, the Arsenal. He's written a song about it. He's set music to it, and he's put these clips in which are him 
at interacting with real people in and around Arsenal. They're all Arsenal fans. And this, to me, Rog, is the perfect blend of tradition and foundations and content creation and heartfelt and what it means to be the fan of a football club. And Arsenal are a big club. But that song and those clips could have been about any football club anywhere in the UK and I'm sure anywhere in Europe. You know, real fans showing what real people think about their club and their neighbourhood. And and the lyrics are great and the music's great. It's it's absolutely exceptional. And and looking at that actually does make me realise that there is a place for this content creation stuff, but it has to have a heart and a soul, Rog. It can't be superficial. It can't be done to get clicks because when you do something to get clicks it's gone right it's gone you, you just don't remember this stuff that song i suspect will be sung on the terraces at arsenal that'll be the anthem for a very 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 long time because it has heart and soul it's not superficial yeah i saw it and um i had to watch it a couple of times because it just was really great it's you know beautiful. Uh, it's beautiful it's beautiful it's beautiful and you'll see it and I can't explain it like you can't the way as you can if you see it but it's one of the things that does come out of that is that it is alluding very much to the fact that football and Arsenal and Highbury in the area it's a working class um, it's a working class video yep. there is no way about you can get around that and you know it, it kind of a little bit links to, you know, Fever Pitch and the story of, you know, walking to the old hybrid between all the terraced houses and everything like that. Now yep. you don't have that. Now you've got Emirates. Uh, so I, I agree with you. And, and I'll link it to something that I found myself talking about. You you know that my relationship with Celtic is strange and that is my team, but I don't like their lack of ambition. This seems that in some many ways they're... No, they're see, Rog, it's funny. You'll go on the same, but I just want to interrupt there because you, you say your your relationship is strange. Your relationship with Celtic is the same as Collins with Arsenal, right? Your fans, right. proper fans. And being a proper fan means you can call out the stuff that is still your club. There's still the team you grew up supporting as a boy. But you recognise when they're doing things wrong. You recognise when they're not playing great. You recognise when they're making bad decisions. You're a fan, that's all. Yeah, well, well maybe. But, um, you know, uh, Celtic won the league this year and beat a team that is in the final of the Europa League. So, you know, it's not as if they beat nobody, right? Um, the, the story yeah, here but that, is... But that's a brand new team, Rog. They've only been in existence for a couple of years. <laughs> I'll let that go otherwise they get into trouble but the, but the point is you know uh, they, they, they won the league this week and you know the Celtic put out some nice videos uh, and, and it comes back to the link to the Arsenal thing uh, the, the new manager coach of Celtic is uh, Ange Podnikosglu I think that's his uh, his name, uh, just known as Ange, really. Now he's an Australian. Uh, the the strange name comes from the fact that his father was a Greek immigrant that made a life in in Australia, and you know he's done so well at Celtic and has had such an effect because, like the Arsenal video, there is a stream of authenticity that is available at Celtic. It's the immigrant club. It is the club for, you know, um, whether you want to call it, you know, the Ellis Island type, give me your poor, we'll become your club, Uh, we've always welcomed everybody regardless, blah, 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 blah. And he's tapped into this because he's an immigrant family, 
And, you know, he's got that Australian thing about him that is just completely knocked aside all the nonsense in Scotland about, you know, relatively parochial bragging rights. And I agree with you, Grant. You know, I, 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 when you see these videos, all the nonsense that we talked about, about, you know, commercialization and super leagues and money and, you know, salary caps and all of that, it doesn't matter because for that little moment in time, at least for our generation, you just get a connection you get nowhere else. And I saw it with the Arsenal video, and when uh, Ange, you know, made his, his acceptance speech at Celtic yesterday, and he says, you've welcomed me, you've welcomed my family. It, it, it was, it's really powerful stuff, mate. It's really powerful. It, it is, but but again, Rog, you know, we've, we've seen this, and this is part of the circle of life in, in football, right? particularly in the UK. The Ange out chants are only... A finite period of time away, right? right? We know, right. we know that, that's right? right. It's, and and, and but, but it, that's the beauty of it because the love is real, right? They have welcomed in the hearts, and they, and they and and they they do revere him, and they love him, and they've taken him into their homes and their hearts and all that stuff, and they will absolutely desperately want to get rid of him at some point, and then they'll they'll turn on him, and he'll be out, and then five years later he'll come back to the club and they'll have forgiven all the other stuff and they'll remember all the good stuff that's that's a big part of what it's about right it's it's family i struggle with that stuff but I, I i my my heart never manages to overrule my head as much as it does for most fans i, I you know i have a problem with that you know you, you can't be living in an environment which is you know what have you done for me lately and 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 then claim at the same moment all this tear-jerking authenticity it sits together, but I find that a struggle. It's like oil and water no, for no, me. No, I know, but, but but you're not the average. As I said, you're a fan. You're not the average fan. You're a fan. Yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway, what, now, what, listen, we're, we're I've got one other thing. Go on, I've got one other thing. Then we're not, I'm not, I do want to talk about NFTs a little bit. Now, uh, the one thing I'll, I've got, this is going to go out on Thursday. So at this point, um, this announcement should be out. And if it isn't, we'll cut this bit out. Um, I work in an in, in industrial sport tech. Um, one of my companies is Zone 7, that is injury prevention. One of our major clients is Liverpool Football Club. And in some way or another, we would suggest that... Um, We've contributed to the fact that they're going strong for four tournaments all the way through. That's not the point of what I'm going to say here. The point is that it allows me to say that I am all in in what is called data-informed running of football now, whether it's on the performance side, whether it's on the commercial side, whether it's on what you know Giles likes on the fan side and everything like that. And sometimes I have to speak to my startup clients and, and, and investee companies and tell them that, that sport is irrational and that regardless what we do and data informed, it will never trump the reality of the chaos of football. So I'm bringing you today this story. Soccer player dropped from team for endless locker room farting. Um, did you hear this story? Funnily enough, no, Rog, see if you can guess the answer to that question. <laughs> right, so um, Leon Defender. So this guy isn't like Joe Nobody. He's playing for Leon. A guy's name is Marcelo. Uh, he was dropped from the, the French team's first team and then eventually sacked. Uh, and the reason being was the uh, flatulence. Uh, petulant flatulence, if, if it's correctly. Uh, no, wait, isn't, he, isn't he a left back for Bologna? He's a young Brazilian kid, Petulento Fletulendo. No? 
no, no, oh, okay. no, no, no. But so the, the the picture of me, you know, in the middle of all my AI informed, data informed startups, and <laughs> seeing this guy that they, they, they're talking about, they they, they booted him out um, for inappropriate behaviour because apparently while the coach was talking, he was laughing around, bending over, and farting during the team talks. Now you can have all the AI recruitment software in the world and squad <laughs> management and blood but at the end of the day it's just young boys just fanning around right someone somewhere is working on an algorithm to put into your software <laughs> that will take that into account it's happening as we speak you're probably right, you know. So, so listen, let's finish a little bit on, on, on a serious note because um, we do have to talk about it. This has been a, a very difficult week for whether you want to call it crypto, you want to call it Web3, you want to call it NFTs. Uh, and, and I think our listeners would love to hear your view. I know you don't really want to talk about it because it's, it's not a funny thing for a lot of people you know. But we've seen, uh, we've seen Luna, that... that um, algorithmic stable coin i think that's what you would call it basically go to zero uh, on the back of um fluff really what is your reading of given that sport is being financed very significantly now by crypto.com here there f you know all, everywhere it's a major sponsor now it's uh, what is your view about whether luna is a flash in the pan what it means for the NFT game, what it means for crypto in general. Uh, you and I had a little exchange. I picked up a couple of your comments, but l l let's see what, what what you think this means for our industry, Grant. To be decided, Rog, to be decided. However, you know, there are two indicators which have been pretty reliable. One, one is the tallest building indicator. Whenever a new tallest building in the world is unveiled and opened, there's normally some kind of financial crisis around, centering around the country that, that opened that building. Uh, the other one is the stadium naming indicator. You know, when when certain industries start putting their names all over sports stadiums, generally it's the it's the sign of a top rather than a bottom. And we've now got FTX Arena in Miami. We've got the Crypto.com Arena somewhere else. You know, crypto is is everywhere. You know what happened in in Luna and Terra this past week is is serious a lot of people uh, have lost a lot of money um, including friends of mine including people who are smart and sophisticated and drank the kool-aid or or lost track of their risk management or did whatever right and there there are a lot of people around the world and, and twitter feeds are littered with people who've lost everything right yep um, and they've lost everything because they were chasing 20% interest rates and 35% interest rates by staking these tokens. And look, the simple truth is, in a world of 0% interest rates, and I, I'm getting bored myself talking about this stuff this week, so apologies for how much I'm talking about this. In a world of 0% interest rates, if somebody offers you 20%, there's a catch. I guarantee you, and the catch may not be evident right now, it may take a while for the catch to come out, but ultimately, the way these things work is they offer 20% in the hope of getting to some kind of critical mass where they're big enough to be able to, there are enough people involved that you can lower those interest rates and people will stay. But to offer that 20%, you've got to keep new people coming in. And this is the very definition of a Ponzi scheme, Roger. The very yep. definition of it. 
And so, you know, it, it has been a rough week for crypto. It's been a rough week for a lot of people who have put money they can't afford to lose into something which offer them dreams of a brighter tomorrow. And they've lost everything. And I mean everything. And and they've lost everything in the space of 48 hours. There wasn't any time to get off the train tracks, right? The, the, the train hit you. And most of those two days, there was nothing you could do. But it, it literally went from $86 to zero in two days. It's not the first, but it's the highest profile, and it won't be the last. Right, okay. Well, let, let me let me come back a little bit with um, so what other people may say about this. One, they may say, oh, don't confuse algorithmic stable coins with collateralized ones. And I think, you know, they're referring to Tether. And, and you wrote a year ago, Grant, a warning article about Tether, which truly is astonishing uh, based on today's news. You've always called, well, you're now something like Luna, you would, I guess, would call Bear Stearns, and Tether is Lehman Brothers. How 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 risky do you think the idea that uh, collateralized stable coins like Tether can, you know, break the buck? And, 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 and you know, they went, they went down to 95, it's come up a little bit. You know, do you think that moment has passed, or, or, or is there still major risk there? The, the risk phase... It's just beginning, Roger. Um, the risk phase is is being kicked off by Luna, not ended by it at all in any way, shape, or form. This is potentially a, a major, major problem. You know, Enron went tits up in what two thousand two thousand two was it two thousand one something like that yeah two thousand one I think it was. You know, Arthur Anderson doing the accounts it, it shattered Arthur Anderson. It caused all kinds of problems. They, they had <clears throat> they had a hundred billion dollars in revenue. Rog, Tether is an eighty billion dollar market cap, right? So if this thing goes under, there is no way it doesn't ripple in. This it doesn't get tied up in a neat bow and oh, just crypto people lost money. This is real world money, and the regulators, uh, having watched what happened with Terra and Luna, the regulators cannot now not get deep into this stuff and regulate it properly because this isn't some tin pot coin right this is real money billions that's been blown up this week and if the regulators don't move quickly to put all kinds of assurances in place this is only going to get worse and you know looking at the fallout looking at the lives that have been disrupted the credibility that's been shredded you know, it's it's a real shame for me. I mean, I, 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 I know, I, I know you're not. You, you, you mean you had every, you would have every right to be saying, "I told you so," and you're and you're, you're the opposite of that. Uh, so, kudos to you for this. But let let me ask one thing that you you know my view of this is slightly different to yours. I, I believe that the, um, the whole blockchain, crypto, Web3, NFT, democratization of of everything is philosophical, uh, and and for that reason will continue, and that. I look at these inevitable um, problems as the, what happened, you know, with pet.com um, and, and the internet.com boom. I believe in tokenization of assets. I think that will happen. Do you think this just kills everything in this area or it's like, you know, we then go through 2001, 2002, no. then... No, it doesn't kill everything and, and nor should it, Rog. Look, NFTs 
in the way you talk about them and the way you think about them are designed to create value for people, right? Yeah. And there's a very different, there's a big difference between being valuable and helping you get rich. And so the value of some of these NFTs, it doesn't need to be financial. It could be owning a piece of your club, right? It could be yeah. owning a piece of your, whatever it is. But everyone has boiled everything down to price. And so it just became a question of, oh, if I buy an NFT, it's not about the fact that I own a piece of my club. It's about, I'll be rich. It's not what it's about, you know? Which was um, a dot-com boom. It was exactly which was the, dot the com boom, Right, and, and what happened? The dot-com boom blew up. All these companies went to zero. Money was burned. But the infrastructure that, that that borrowed money created remained and it enabled people to come in and give us nine ninety nine a month internet because all the fiber optic Amen. cables that they borrowed money for have been laid. So, no, it, do, it doesn't mean it goes away, but it means that it comes back to value, Roger. And we've talked about this. this, this you know, there's a reason why these, these ideas of growth and value are important. Bitcoin has been growth. Web3 tokenization is value. And the number doesn't have to go up. The number doesn't have to keep going I'm up. Going to, I'm going to save that quote. I'm going to save that quote, Grant. That is superb. But it's, it's true, Rog. And so, you know, the, the, the froth and the frenzy will go out of this stuff when more people lose money, like these poor people did in Luna this week. It's the circle of life. That's how these things work, right? They take that money away from people who get too greedy and get too careless. And it's a great shame. But it doesn't mean it's dead. It just means it, it has to find its value, uh, its true value, rather than being a, 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 a get-rich-quickly. And, and I think what it, happened I to think get rich slow? Whatever happened to get-rich-slow? Oh, that doesn't wrong exist with anymore. Doesn't exist nothing wrong with anymore. it, though. Well, it's the way that it's always worked. The serious generational money has always been get-rich-slow and then preserve it. It's just the... You know, Roger, there's a, there's, a, there's a fantastic line in Wall Street, and whenever you, 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 people talk about Wall Street, they always know the, the greed is good line from yeah. um, Michael Douglas, right? For me, the, the best line in, in that film, Daryl Hannah says it to, uh, to Charlie Sheen. She says, you know, having money and losing it is worse than never having had it at all. And it's so true. And that's what crypto people are, 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 finding, out, are, are finding out right now, is that when you think you're rich and you piss it away, it's much harder to come back from that because you had you had a secure future in your hands and you got greedy. You know, a good friend of mine had, a, had an intern working for him who made a load of money on paper in Bitcoin back when it was up at wherever. And my friend pleaded with him, said, listen, just sell two of your Bitcoins and pay for your house. Just, just do that, just do that, pay for your house. And then no matter what happens, you will always you have a roof house. over your head paid for and that's the thing you've got shelter for the rest of your life you can work in mcdonald's and earn enough money to feed yourself you don't have to worry about shelter blah 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 and the kid's response was are you kidding why would i why would i sell my bitcoin now for fifty thousand dollars a coin when it's going to a million and look that's that story has not been written yet it's down you know it's, it's halved his wealth in inverted commas has halved who knows maybe he will take her somehow and buy but it was the, it was the absolute rejection of the stupid idea of securing my future now when i could be really really rich in future and that's the mindset that situations like this always beat out of people before they're over and we're not there yet unfortunately which means there's more pain to come yeah keep an eye on tether everybody 
it is the it is the big dog in this one and um, if you do get a chance to read Grant's piece from June 2021 about why Tether possibly isn't what it all appears to be then do that um, it's out there somewhere, Roger. It's out in the wild somewhere. It's, it's called Schrodinger's Coin, if anyone ever uh, wants no, to read no, it. No, I found if it. You, I if read you that, Google I... for it, it's out there somewhere. Oh, is, you mean it's not behind the paywall? No, or, or no, no, I put it out there for people to read. So, And if you can't find it, just email us and uh, or tweet us and something, and we'll, I'll send it to you. So that's no problem. Please take him up on that. Um, it, it is the kind of writing that we know we've got used to with Grant, and it's always spot on, and none of it is ever I told you so. So um, I, I would I would take a, take him up on that. Grant, let's um, we've run over a little bit here. We did, um, mate. I, we did, but uh, that's always the sign of a good time, I think. Yeah, I think, I think. so. Fun, funny time, uh, funny time. Unless you're in prison, in which case it's the sign of bad behaviour. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, listen. Uh, all that remains, I guess, Rog, is for me to thank you for for doing this. Always a good time, and most importantly, to thank you out there for listening to us. We appreciate each and every one of you doing that. It's always fun getting to talk to you and interact with the responses. So. Please, as always, let us know what you think of the show. And um, in the meantime, between now and the next time you hear from us, you can follow us on Twitter. If you don't already, you'll find us at Entertained R. That's the word A-R-E. You can find me at T-T-M-Y-G-H. And you can follow myself back on Twitter because I don't think he's going to pull it off. Um, <laughs> at RPM Como, as in the lake. This time I will say I told you so. Yeah. Talk to you soon. <laughs> Take care, my friend. Bye-bye.